thinking about tell you where we were, but then I looked up there and I figure you're all literate. You could probably tell where we are. Uh, but uh, middle on Mark 9, he, uh, Jesus is talking more here than he does in uh, the first part of the, the, all the synoptic gospels are kind of that way. You get a lot of narrative and then Jesus teaches more. Um, if you, uh, he's predicting his death again here. Um, and he, he adds a little bit of a new uh, piece to it. Uh, and th- now he's going to start staying away from the crowd for the most part, which it, it seems like a, kind of a wrong way to do it, right? You know, he's trying to, you know, show people who he is, but obviously maybe that's not what he's trying to do, uh, is show people who he is uh, yet. Uh, that's something that really doesn't happen until after the, Ascension, where it really kind of takes off, uh, Pentecost, uh, Holy Spirit, Acts two, but you have his public ministry in Galilee is finished. He's he's not going to do that anymore. Um, it, it seems, at least to me, and I guess perspective is uh, everybody can have their own perspective in this, but you know, it seems like we just started Mark, and here we are in part twenty one, and just kind of work wakes its way through. But every every gospel kind of has a, a transition time, and this is this is. Mark's transition. Uh, it's kind of subtle in Mark, probably the most subtle of all four. Um, Matthew's is kind of subtle. It's usually, it's at Matthew 16 where, you know, who do you say that I am? And things switch when they start figuring that out a little bit more. And once they understand that, he does a lot more teaching just with the, the 12 and the disciples that are close and has some pretty long discourses with people who don't like him <laughs> in the temple. You know, and in John, he has that time when Lazarus is dead and he raises him and shows a picture of the resurrection and everything changes there. And Luke, he has this really cool phrase in chapter 9 where he says, it says, and it's kind of what's happening here, he sets his face toward Jerusalem. You know, it doesn't mean he, you know, always looked south the whole time after that. Um, it's, a, it's a metaphor for where his focus is. And that's his focus now is more, I need to get these people these closest ones to understand who I am so that when I'm gone, they'll be able to tell others well. And that's the way he decided to do it. Uh, and it's, it's kind of neat the way he does it. So verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. You see this a lot. You know, I, I know it's, I always tell you, try to get your own movie going here. How would this look? What would people feel like? This one's always hard for me. You know, I'm always kind of like, well, how? You want to be, you know, humble. Um, you you want to be uh, gracious. But they just sound so stupid. It's like, well... It says they're going to kill him. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't know what that means. I mean, if we went out today and somebody, I'm not, hope, I'm, you know, I'm not, not a prophet, you know, I hope this doesn't happen to you. You know, you go somewhere and somebody pulls a gun, I'm going to kill you. And you're like, God, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Might not work out well for you, right? It's just, it's something's going on here. You know, it, and it's, I don't think it's just, it could be. Some of it is spiritual hardening and not quite understanding, but, um, there's some, there's some sort of focus here that's so great that they just can't conscious it. Uh, 
I mean, they know him pretty well by now. We're probably at least two years into his ministry. Uh, I suppose we'd be that way too. Like, no. I'm going to kill you. We've seen what you can do. You walked on water. You can make food come from, like, anything. You stop storms. You raise people from the dead. You can do anything you want. So the only way they could kill you is if you wanted to be killed, and what numbskull would want to do that? You know, it is hard. It is, you know, and we get that in Romans 1, you know. This is foolishness to the to the Gentiles. It's foolishness to most people if they don't understand and I don't know if we all got together and we didn't know the gospel and we said, well, how are we going to, we want God to kind of reconcile, let's do that, you know. Would we come up with the cross on our own? I wouldn't vote for it, even though I know I should. You know, every time, you know, we do our passion play, you know, every couple years, or you see a movie uh, with Jesus on the cross, and there's some very good ones, every time I want him off. I know why he's on there. <laughs> I know that if he's not on there, we're all in trouble. But I still don't want him up there. You know, it's kind of, and that's probably what's going on here. It's probably an emotional thing that's going on. Um, and why, he says, you know, they were afraid to ask him. Were they, were they afraid that he was going to rebuke him? Because he did do that. You remember when Peter said, when he said this in Matthew 16, you know, he, uh, who do you say that I am? Peter says, oh, you are the, the Christ, the son of the living God. And, you know, flesh and blood has not told you this, but my father in heaven. And Peter's kind of like, you know, man, what's that? And then he started telling him this stuff. And Peter pulls him aside and says, no, you're not going to die. And then he rebukes him. You know, get behind me. Who? Ow. Satan. I mean, it's one thing to say, you know, you're a little off here. You're actually following something that's complete Christ, if you want to use that word. It's, it's Satan, you know. And so it could be rebuke, but I wonder if it's not the second one there. Uh, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I don't know if you use an analogy. You go in and you, the doctor says, well, we've got the results. I don't want to hear. Why would we do that? Well, well let's hear. Well, I want to hear if they're good. Or we get that dreaded uh, thing people say, do you want, you want the good news first or the bad news first? And I'm like, what difference does it make? <laughs> All I'm thinking about now is the second one. You know? So I, I think that's probably it. They probably didn't want to know what it meant. I don't know. Um, but they were afraid to ask him, which I think is really interesting. So they come to Capernaum. Verse 33, and when he was in the house, which is probably Peter's house, he asked them, what, what were you discussing on the way? <laughs> Do you think he knew what they were discussing? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and a servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So this was their, their I wondered what, we don't know, and, and the two of the Gospels have this, but they're, they're discussing, what, what, what do you think the criteria was for being greatest? Yeah, I mean, I... I <laughs> 
it's interesting, you know. Did they have like a weightlifting contest? How many people have you healed, John? Um, it would be interesting. I, I don't talk about that in your life groups. That's kind of an interesting question. I don't know if it's in there, but that is, you know, what do you? Wh- how would you measure yourself with greatest? I mean, who's the greatest in here? Well, it's dude on the stage, right? Because I'm, yeah. <laughs> it's so easy, you know. Uh, in the background, you know, you know, you know what vanity is or pride, you know. It's just kind of like, just when you realize you're humble, the pride comes in. Yeah. And I'm sure one of you is going to say this, and I would welcome it as always. That was a really good sermon, John. <laughs> and I just you know, now I can just wear this, right? And everything's good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so, and, and and that's okay. And again, you don't want false humility. Sometimes they are good, uh, but. Again, it's so easy for us to do this, to measure ourselves against other people, uh, which sometimes is okay. I mean, sometimes you do measure yourself against other people. Sometimes you get zero and then the other people get 31. That happened last night. I mean, it happens. It's it's okay. But again, with God, we're always going to, if we, we can't measure ourselves against him, and that's what we always want to try to do. So he was investing a lot of time in these guys, you know, he, he, and it's really interesting the way he does that. You know, he just, it's just really cool, and I think that's what, that's kind of the way churches work to some extent, at least they should. You know, leaders invest into other leaders, and those leaders invest to short and small groups, and, you know, and you can, you know, I can, I hope you get something out of the worship. We, you come to worship God. This is part of worshiping God, and even the sermon, because you're pointing back to him uh, and, and remembering the cross and the gospel. Uh, where you get to know each other best and where you really get deep into stuff is Bible study and life groups. Uh, that's the, yeah, that was an advertisement, if you didn't know. <laughs> but the fact that he was investing all this time into him, it made him think that I think probably got to their heads a little bit. Um, and his question here is part of his teaching, you know, it's intended to make them think about the goal and purpose. What are they here for? Why is he doing this? And then he comes and he doesn't just say, don't do that. He gives these metaphors. It's like, not only that, you got to be last. <sighs> wow. But that doesn't mean in everything, right? It doesn't mean do things poorly. That's not the point. Don't try hard. Don't do things excellent. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you must be last a servant because that's what God is doing for you. Humble yourself. You know, what comes to mind, you know, John 13, you remember what happens, you know, Jesus puts a towel around his waist and does servant's work as a metaphor for this is what you need to do for people. What's the best way to serve somebody? You know, that's that's a good question, isn't it? I won't, I'm not going to tell you the answer. It might be because I don't know. But think about that. What is the best? What, what would honor God the most? You know, that's kind of what he's trying to get these guys to understand. And then in 36, he's teaching them about humility. This is kind of what it looks like. Uh, he might be using a word play here because the word for servant and child r- represent one word in Aramaic. You know, so it's kind of a, uh, 
I don't know if you knew this, but in, especially in Roman times, you know, children, we, we've heard that before, a generation's past, children were supposed to be, what, seen and not heard? You've heard of that? Um, uh, and I'm not making a call of what's better or worse. Every culture does the way they want. Um, but in there, you not only were you supposed to not heard, you're not even supposed to be seen. I mean, you were just, in Roman culture, you were just a little bit below the dog. You know, and, and so it, this is in there, see that, you know, that this, is, this is different. And the idea of self-sacrifice and denial, that's, you know, versus arrogance and self-promotion. This is the thing, you know, and it's always hard to do. And, and Jesus is the best at it, right? He's always the best at deflecting, even though he deserves them. You know, he deserves, he's a, if there's anybody deserves to be prideful, he'd be the one, right? Um, and then verse 37, you know, is very similar to, you know, Matthew 10, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You know, that's, this is important. Um, and so I, I think they kind of understood that, but this is the only time John speaks in Matthew's gospel uh, on his own. Um, in verse 38 he says, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him. I don't know if they were trying to put the demon back in or how that works, but because he was not following us. That's interesting. Who wasn't he following? Us. Pronouns are always important in the Bible. Who is us? Well, a special privileged dude, you know, because you just talked about being last, but of course we completely ignored that. You know, that's it's very easy to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's it's it if you're not humble, you usually get humbled really quickly, right? It doesn't take long. You know, just when you think you, you got it, then. And I think God has a sense of humor. I really do. Uh, I mean, you're, you just think, oh, I got this. This is good. God must really like me because he's given me these wonderful words to give to other people. Then you hit your shin on a table. And your thoughts are not, God likes me anymore. God must hate me. He doesn't like my shin. <laughs> you get humbled really fast. So it ju it's just, this is happening to them. And it's, it's kind of, but someone out there is driving out evil spirits. Um, but, but Jesus said to them, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The same thing we have right above there in Matthew. What does that mean? I, I wanted to show you this because we're going to hit it a little bit harder toward the end. Whoever gives you, and you know what I'm going to ask if you've been in a Bible study, right? Who is you? Now, we got this terrible problem in English. You can be plural or singular, right? The Texans cleaned that up, and I didn't learn Hebrew with a Texas accent. So, because um, y'all is singular for some people, all y'all is plural. I did not know that, and it really messed up my Hebrew exam. <laughs> of course, my tutor was from Korea, so I had a Korean accent when I did it. So, let's bring it all in. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's just going but it's hard, you know, you, and we get that messed up sometimes. Um, 
you know, who is you? Well, it's not hard. You is plural here, if you didn't notice. You is the, the 12, probably, at this point, at the very least. Um, whoever gives you a cup of water. Well, what does it mean? Is it just this, you know, they're going to run a marathon and those people stick them in your hands, you know? That kind of, is that what he's talking about? You know, a cup of water is a hospitality thing. It's, you know, you can go back to John 4, and you got the woman at the well, and you got Jesus says he's living water. I mean, there's something going on here. Who is gives you a couple, you know, gives you, refreshes you, cares about you because you belong to me will by no means lose his reward. It, it's kind of like if they treat, the way they treat you as my followers is like they're treating me. If you want to really get a big picture of this, read Matthew 25. The sheep and the goats part. You know, that's, that, that, that helps understanding that. So that had to make him feel pretty good, I think, that this was going on. But, you know, John speaking for the 12 here, this person is not part of all us all. You know, us. Uh, us. He's not part of us. It, I still think this greatness thing hasn't been quietly, uh, you know, pressed out of him yet. Um, this is an aside, but, you know, most of my sermons are almost all aside. So, John calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Did he forget this? You ever think about, why does he do that? Because of this? Jesus loves me. Because he, probably not as much as he does, he doesn't love you as much as he does me. He loves me more. Is that what he's saying? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. You can kind of pick this up when you go to 1 John, but He's, 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 I think he's making the point. I'm the disciple that I'm the disciple that Jesus even loved me. Even though I said stupid things like this. Even though I didn't understand. Even though he was right there. I saw him on the mountain. We just had that a couple weeks ago. I saw his majesty on the mountain. I saw how wonderful he was. I heard all his teachings. And I strutted around like a cocky guy for a while because of that. And he still loved me. I think that's what he's saying. I think it's actually humility. Even me, he loved. You know, I think that's what he's going to say. And, it, and by extension, if you read First John, Second John, Third John, he'll love you too, whether you deserve it or not. And you really don't. <laughs> that's his point, I think. But they're worried about this guy's driving out a demon. And this is kind of hard. We could go deeper into it, and you're, you can certainly do that yourself. But it's a little, well, who is this guy? And it's like, I don't like this. And I, um, when the Bible doesn't give me what I want, <laughs> just in case the lightning hits, like he's going to miss. Yeah. <laughs> that was dumb. Uh, but, but you think about they are trying to figure out what he's here for. Are they just me or is it just, you know, we got this other guy and who is it? And I don't like it that they don't give the guy. Should we give this? I mean, the, what is it? The, the, the movie, the, the TV series. Chosen. They probably, I, I wonder if they'll do this. Maybe they'll give the guy. Maybe it was Lazarus. You think that? They probably would have said his name, right? Yeah. Maybe it was Nicodemus. I don't know. Man, we can talk about that. But it's somebody that wasn't part of the 12. 
And maybe the fact that when the three were up on the mountain and the nine were down in the valley and somebody came who had a demon, they couldn't get him out. So maybe they're like, well, he's doing it. Maybe it's implicitly saying, well, how come he can do it and I can't do it? You know, give me the, give me the power. This is my power. Yeah, I don't know. The key here is mighty works in my name. How's he driving these demons out? Whoever gives you a cup of cold water in my name. I think this all has something to do with it, right? Doesn't it? This is the one who truly speaks well and truthfully about Jesus. That's the key. You don't have to be part. You notice Jesus isn't what we call sectarian too much, is he? Uh, we know that E free people are better than all the rest, right? Because we're humble. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's plenty of heaven jokes for all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it doesn't, it's again, it's the key, right? I don't care if you're Lutheran or if you're Catholic or if you're Ephraim, Baptist, non-denom, whatever word you want to put in there. Where is your connection with Jesus? That's it. You know, that's really it. And we can learn from each other. And where would we part way with people who don't think Jesus is worth connecting to, I guess? And this sort of kind of gives us that a little bit, doesn't it? You know, don't hinder this guy. It's like, think about it. It's like, you know, that guy... You know, we need to write him up on a technicality. I mean, that's almost like, isn't it? It's like we need to give him a ticket, a citation. You drove out demons without John's permission. Think about the guy who had the dream demon, drove out of him. Like, you coming back? <laughs> Can you imagine that? I mean, so it's, it's not even compassionate. And again, verse 41, like 37, it's so how one treats Christ's representatives is counted as how they actually treat him. If you give them a cup of cold water, then you're giving me one. That's exactly what it says in Matthew 25. Now to some really fun stuff, temptations. You know, it's, it's, it's not, this is good theology. It helps us try to figure out how Jesus worked through, and those are always good to know because we get to know Jesus better, which is what worship is all about. Um, but now this is kind of like Jesus is going to help us with some practical application. <laughs> you know, you're always supposed to do that in a sermon, right? Give you all the information and then apply it. Get the meaning and then apply it. Well, Jesus just does it for us. This is like shooting fish in a barrel here. No. Here's application. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. I'm not saying this was a fun teaching, but it is applicable. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Who's speaking here? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Hmm. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell. Do you see a theme yet? Um, where, and if you didn't know, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. So this is Jesus teaching. The salt thing will hit at the end. Um, 
the the idea of hell seems to be fairly prevalent. <laughs> Jeez, I think we said that before. I don't know if you guys remember that, those of you who have been around for a while. How long ago was that? Probably 2012, 2013. We're out in the other building. And you guys, if you're, you're still here, I'm just like, what grace. I did an 18-week series on hell. You guys remember that? If you don't, that might be good. No, I'm just kidding. It's just... <laughs> It's and obviously when you're talking about hell, what do you talk about also? I'm not going to talk about heaven, you know. Because remember, I, we talked about that at the welcome. Get this in your head, folks. Connection, relationship. That's what it's about. Who goes to hell? The people to who don't have a true connection relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's like, and people, I, I've had that happen even with this shirt. So you believe that Jesus is the only way. What would you say if somebody said that? You could say yes. I think that'd be good. Hope you don't say no. I usually say the same thing. He said that. I didn't. That's why they killed him. One of the reasons they killed him. And I'm going to say no? I mean, he died on a cross for me, and I'm not going to stand up and just say a few words that he was the only way because somebody might snicker or maybe be offended because we don't want to do that. Blessed are you who are not offended because of me. Wow. <laughs> and it really comes down to, he's the one that's talking. Why is he warning these people about hell? Is it because he's mean? I'm going to break my iPad, but I could pound on this sucker if you want. I'm not even sure what brimstone is, but we could throw some of that in, right? <laughs> But back to our series, Jesus talks more about hell than all the other people in the Bible combined, by far. It's kind of back to the analogy we've used before. You know, we, we talked about the, you know, if you get, you, we had some tests. There's a good news or bad news. Well, what if you find out that you have terminal cancer? But the doctor knows there's a cure. Would be loving to tell you about the cure or not? I mean, that's not really that hard, is it? Well, same thing with Jesus. Is if, there, if you've got terminal, you know, hell destination, <laughs> and he knows it, and he didn't tell you, that's not very loving, is it? So that's why he does this. I don't like hell any more than you do. I'm not even all that happy about preaching about it, but I didn't come up with this stuff. He did. Um, little ones. In context with Jesus' previous words, it most likely refers to followers of Jesus. It's not just kids. Um, you know, we've had that in our church for a long time, and, you know, I beat you guys to death with it, you know. Christian education should start with the adults, always. And then it'll trickle down to the kids. And we do need to do both. But the idea of following Jesus is a, it, it's a it's an eternally long thing folks um, and you, it's up to you I mean obviously whether you want to do it or not that's up to you I mean you can do it in other ways I realize that but again what are these what are we supposed to do if your hand causes you sin we'll get into that in a minute but little ones you know you get this in in John 13 little children this is John this is right after he washed their feet far as we know there's no kids there 
And we know in context, he's talking about the disciples. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I got to do this. No, but you, you, some of you are probably going to get crucified, but it's not going to change the world like mine is. But little children, he calls them that. You see, at First John picks this up a lot, and I have that in there. Seven times in First John, he uses the term little children for believers. So this is probably what he's talking about. Here's one example. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I've talked about this before. That's your goal, one of your goals. Don't sin. Of course, you know what you're going to, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing. Well, what if I do? But if anyone does, <laughs> I think John anticipated that. If anyone does, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That's so cool. That's a great verse. Um, and this, uh, it's better if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That's pretty heavy stone from my understand, you know. So a violent death would be preferable to leading someone away from God. Well, this is one of the reasons why we must know God's truth and focus on allowing him to work through us to follow him. There are people in our culture that will tell you that it's okay to do certain things that the Bible say are sinful, right? I mean, I don't, you can do the math as good as I can. I would think a lot of those people think they're doing the right thing. In fact, I've heard it. Well, I love the person. And they probably do. And that's great. But if you teach this to someone and that causes them to fall, what does Jesus say about that? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe me to sin, well, wouldn't that be doing that? Even out of love. I mean, it probably is really love. It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck. You know, what's the old adage? Ignorance of the law is no defense. I've tried that. I tried that in Minnesota once. I didn't lie. I think I said maybe, so I didn't make it a lie, because you know, I wouldn't want to do that. I did have a clerical collar in my glove compartment. I thought maybe putting that on while the officer was coming up. But would that have been a good idea? <laughs> you know, I was going to a Spurs game in Minneapolis, so it probably wasn't anything that I needed to speed for. Do you know how fast it's supposed to be going through here? Well, I'm not completely sure. <laughs> Well, it's not 87. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> it said lemon. I thought that was a low limit. No, I didn't say that. But, but again, it, it's the same thing here. You know, Jesus is not going to say, well, yeah, you didn't know that was evil. So that's okay. I mean, most of the time people have access to his word pretty clearly, especially in our country. And too much is given, much is required. I mean, if you don't have a Bible, we got one for you out there. You know, I mean, it's. And if you're going to the Bible thinking, well, if I read this and I screw up, then he's going to get me. Don't go that way. <laughs> go to the Bible to learn more about God. That's what it's for. 
But that's the thing. Why do we hit so hard? Let's know who Jesus is through his word because that's the way you're supposed to live your life. And ignorance is not going to help you. I mean, think about it. Really what it comes down to, is it better to go through life to know God less or more? Well, I don't think it's that hard. And so we'll keep hitting it. So in verses 43 through 47, this is practical advice. This is what we call hyperbole. It's eternal life and pleasing God are so important that radical changes must be made to prevent sin. He's not, please don't think you're supposed to go home and cut your hand off. I mean, that's not the point here. Nor are you supposed to cut your foot off or pluck your eye out. What's he talking about? It's not a woodenly literal thing. I think we can get it. What does it mean? These are the three physical body parts that encompass multiple practices, right? We got a hand, what you do. Foot, where you go. I, what you see. A song comes to mind. Should we all sing it? You, you had it, yeah. Be careful, little eyes, what you do. It's a little nicer then. That would be a different song, wouldn't it? Be careful, little eyes, what you do. Pluck them out. That wouldn't be near as fun of a, of a song, would it? But that's the idea. You know, you do that with people, uh, people who are addicted to things, Right? If you're addicted to alcohol, don't go to into a bar. If you're addicted to pornography, I would stay off the internet. And at least get a really good filter. You know, if you're addicted to stealing stuff, then maybe have somebody come along with you to put everything back on the shelf. It's just, it's again, this, these are the things that we do. And he said, he doesn't just say, you know, this kind of, just kind of flick it off, cut it off, tear it off. It's that, you know, that we've got to go to great lengths to remove those things in our lives to successfully tempt them to sin against our Lord. And you know as well as I do, when you get to the point where not doing what God doesn't want you to do, you feel good about it. That's hard. Because at the beginning, it won't probably be that way. You think with people with addictions, it's hard. It takes a long time. But with God's help, you know, the Spirit's help, it can, ha can happen. It's kind of almost like the guy last week. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. I don't want to sin against you. Help me because I keep really want it. It almost sounds, and we, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I don't pick your sin. You know, what is it that causes you that relationship to get strained because of the what you do? We all have our ways of doing that. We just talked about it earlier, right? You know, you need some humility. And so you get the humility and you're like, you're, I'm really good at being humble. And then pride streak. It just keeps coming, you know? It just keeps coming. It just keeps coming. So tear it away because it's better for you, right? That's the idea. So from the lips of Jesus in, in verse 48, where the worm does not die, eternal hell is the quint of those who value sin more than righteousness. And I, I mean, I don't know if I like the doctrine of hell. I don't really don't like that I'm supposed to love my enemies. There's days I don't even know if I like to love my neighbor. But I don't remember when God said, Brian, do you like this? <laughs> That's what we need is the gospel according to Brian. Probably include a better offense. But... Uh, 
That's another question. Then this salt metaphor, we're going to end with this. Salt, and I, I wanted to get to Leviticus 2. If you, if you want to understand Jesus better, know the Old Testament. I mean, it's not really that hard. Um, I just had insight about John 6 this morning, which I won't, I wasn't going to say bore you. It's really cool, but it's a whole other sermon, so we're not going to go there. But in Leviticus 2, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer it with salt. That's kind of cool, isn't it? You know, salt. Well, what is it doing? Here is just kind of ceremonial, right? It's, but it was a big deal in the old, I, I, before we had refrigeration. You know, why did they salt everything? Because it, it was a preservative. It enhances the flavor. We do that. They did that back then, too. I mean, there's some places in, in Galatians and other places where they talk about how you're how your, your speech should be seasoned with salt, improves society, that's good. But the big thing here is it stops decay. Uh, it arrests and overcomes evil, which new covenant believers are to do. So that's what he's talking about. Have salt in yourself. Have, have those things in yourself. He's talking about temptation. If you can do this, then you can show other people how to do it. And I'll tell you what, the people who are the best prison ministers are the one who've been in prison before, although I'm not advocating it. Remember First John 2? <laughs> Don't send, but if you do. But uh, it's true. I, I did prison ministry, but I didn't get listened to as much as those guys did. The person who can help the addict the most is the one who Christ has helped them get out of. The person who can help the person who's lost a loved one is the one who's lost a loved one they care about. These are the things God uses. He doesn't want those to happen to I mean, it's not a good thing. I'm not saying that. But you can use it. That's the thing arresting the temptation. So there's both a cleansing part of this life, you know, the suffering we go through in this world will have trouble, and a commitment to outward action, be at peace with one another. That's what you're trying to, that's what it's all about. It's the two commandments, people. Love God. Show it by the way you act, and when you screw up, you have an advocate. And then love each other. You know, it's, that's it. That's what it means to truly follow Jesus. So, he switches gears. He focuses on these closest followers and not so much the crowds there. He's given this practical advice to them. You know, you've got to put yourself in places where you're not tempted. You know, some of us can, we know you've got to know where, and that where, your, where your problems are, where, where it causes you to go against God. And that's other people. That's what we're here for. That's what the church is for. Not to go around and say, quit screwing up, quit screwing up. No, it's because we love each other and you want to help each other. You know, it's why when you have problems, a lot of times you call somebody in your life group because you've got that connection in Christ. And this is this radical focus that he's looking for. So he's going to continue to teach. Um, now it's going to be like we get to be a fly on the wall and listen to what he's teaching these closest followers. It's just really cool that, you know, through Peter, mostly Mark wrote all this stuff down. And then we can get that true joy and peace that only we can get through him. And I will pray that now for us that, that we won't even want to sin, not let alone cutting our hands off and plucking our eyes out. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for these words from Jesus. So wonderful, so life-giving. We could spend time in each verse because they're so deep and uh, gets us our connection going with you but each one of us have
things in our lives that, uh, that evil, uh, the world, our own fallenness, uh, evil forces uh, tempt us, and it's very tempting. May we be wise enough to put other people around us that will help us through that, and certainly wise enough to rely on your spirit to help us get through any temptation. And I pray for each one that not only will they want to do that, that it really feel good when they want to do it. That the, that the emotion of the connection we have with you will be real in their lives now and ongoing through the days of their lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.